And uh, I'm glad to be here this afternoon. I was glad to be here yesterday afternoon up to a point. <laughs> I went to the ball. Oh, yes. <laughs> Look at this. See this chair? That's a fine-looking chair. I don't tell you a story about that chair. Uh, I, my wife was up here at the, on stage thanking the speaker this morning or something, and uh, you're... Your exalted uh, leader here, Scott, uh, saw her over here, and uh, and they they saw this chair being brought up here. And Scott's remark was, "I don't think that chair is big enough for you, is it, Benoy?" <laughs> it's okay, Scott. <laughs> she forgot to burn you. I don't know why, but she usually would have would have. I assure you. Anyway, that just shows you the kind of sense of humor we got around here. I, uh, I am really glad to be here. I'm always uh, glad to be here. I uh, went to the ball game yesterday. You got to know that I'm from Norman, Oklahoma. And uh, <laughs> I was having a lot of fun for about three minutes. Ah. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you one thing, you guys really put on a presentation when you send that team out on the field there. You really do that. Yeah. Too bad your offense didn't make but about 13 points. <laughs> you know, defense had to do the rest of it for you. Uh, <laughs> oh, both tell my story. I keep forgetting, get all mixed up. I want to thank uh, the committee for asking me to come here and be part of this thing, and and uh, it was uh, it is really always a pleasure to be part of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I uh, I, I didn't get here by accident. I'm a real alcoholic. Uh, I I uh, you're not going to get a long drunkalog. I'm sorry, but uh, you're just going to have to take my word for it that uh, I uh, I'm a drunk and uh, I'm a, of the type the book talks about. You know. And uh, I drank too much booze too long, and it made me humiliate and embarrass myself and family and wives and children and and uh, a lot of people around me. So uh, that I'm a classic case of uh, you know the book uh, book type alcoholic. Uh, I uh, I wound up in a in a place uh, in Los Angeles. I wound up on the corner of Seventh and Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. After having gotten out of the Peter J. Pitches Hotel, now Peter J. Pitches is a county sheriff, and he runs the jail down there. And I was in his hotel. I had been put there because I was a thief, and I uh, I had stolen some money that wasn't mine. I I was in a position of trust, and I set up two sets of books, one for them and one for me, and you know how that goes. They frown on it, and they put me in jail. <clears throat> and I'd never been in jail for that kind of thing. I'd been overnight drunk a couple of times and all that, but, you know, that wasn't a big deal. But I sure hadn't been in there for a grand theft felony. And uh, I was there, and I wondered, how did you get there? What the hell happened? How did you wind up in this mess? And uh, my, I had been told about my drinking by a lot of people. And uh, I, that never entered my mind that that was what was wrong. And so for the next 46 days, I was sober. That's the first I had been sober in 20 years at least for that length of time. But I was sober for 46 days. The disease was continuing, but I was still, I was still sober. So whenever I hear anybody talk about, you know, about, well, abstinence is the answer to alcoholism, forget it. My disease continued. And I got out of jail, and uh, I borrowed $50 from a guy, and I wound up in this really fancy hotel at down at the corner of 7th and Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. It had been fancy at one time, maybe 70 years before, but it was a flop house. And uh, I uh, was there, and, and I, uh, I said, there again, I wondered, how did I get there? I uh, got out of this jail because uh, the public defender attorney concocted a story of some kind and got me out on bail. And uh, he had told me that, you know, I think that guys like you have a problem with alcohol, and I think you ought to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. Now, all he did was to get me very righteously indignant 
because he, how dare him call me and tell me that I have a problem with alcohol and that I should go to Alcoholics Anonymous of all things. And I said, I don't legally have to do that, do I? And he says, no, but I strongly suggest it. And I said, well, I think I'll pass. Thank you. And he just shook his head, and I got out of jail and walked on. I, went, I walked on down the street. I had, I had a suit and tie left, and I had read in the, in, the, in the paper there in the water ad section that they needed a credit manager at this jewelry store. And uh, so I had, I had owned a, a jewelry store about six doors down from that guy at one time, and I knew him well. And he knew that I was no longer in business, and so I just walked in there and said, Hey, Larry, how you doing? Oh, I see you need a credit manager. He says, Yeah, you want the job? I said, Sure do. And so 30 minutes after I got out of the county jail, I was credit manager in a jewelry store on Broadway in downtown Los Angeles. And I offered, wondered, uh, well, of course, the guy was a lush, you know, so I could have probably told him where I'd been, and he wouldn't have cared. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I went to work for this guy, and uh, I was, that's why I was staying at that hotel down there. And uh, I used to get up or uh, go to work from there. And after about a week of this, I thought, well, while I was out, I mean, while I was in jail, I said, you know, if you're out, you better try to cool it for a while with the booze. So uh, for about a week, I did. And, uh, of course, I hadn't gotten paid either, and I didn't have any money, but that might have had something to do with it. But nevertheless, uh, I cooled it for a while, and uh, then came payday. And I'd been over there at the same old place that I'd gone. Duties, I love duties. Oh, the atmosphere was wonderful. It was really smoky in there, and it was just, God, I loved it. And I uh, would go to duties every chance I got. So I'd go around the corner to duties, and I'd, uh, uh, I'd drink, these, drink these Cokes. And I had about three of those, and I said, oh, to hell with this. Give me a double shot and a beer back. And I started some of the most insane drinking that I've ever done in my life. And that lasted, uh, it just kept on going, you know. And finally, I was getting to where I had to drink all the time. It wasn't a question of wanting to drink. It was having to drink. And uh, the one thing that was with me at that time is that had been for a long time, and that was guilt. Guilt, 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 guilt. Guilt about everything. Guilt about those two kids I'd left back in Oklahoma. Guilt about all the wives that I'd cheated on. Guilt about this. Guilt about that. By the way, I have another disease that goes along with my alcoholism is uh, it's called uh, marriageitis. I used to get I used to get married a lot. I used to get divorced a lot and lots of mother-in-law trouble. <laughs> lots of mother-in-law trouble. No, none of you guys ever had that, but I did, and I uh, so I uh, I just kept going. But uh, I uh, was there, and I didn't know uh, it, it got into a cycle that I knew wasn't going to quit. It was just like it was like. Uh, you know, get off work and drink all day. Even the, he, the guy told me I could drink on the job as long as I could do my job. He didn't care if I drank. And I, <laughs> that's heaven for an alcoholic, you know. So nevertheless, I uh, I kept on drinking, and uh, it got to the point where I just couldn't do anything but drink. And uh, kept on working because I had to work. But uh, at nights it got bad. I, uh, that's when I would uh, really get serious with drinking. It was maintenance in the daytime, and at night it was getting serious, you know. And uh, I had suicided also, began to look pretty good about that time. So I uh, kept thinking about getting to kill myself because I knew there was no end to this thing. There just was not an end to it. It wasn't because I wanted to do the things I was doing. It wasn't because I wanted to drink the way I was doing. There was no other answer. And finally, this one night I came in, and I got out on the ledge, and there I was. And the, uh, the, I was on the seventh floor of this hotel. I said, yeah, that's big. That's high enough. That'll do it. And I got out there and had to work 30 minutes to get the window open so I could get out there. <laughs> and uh, I got out on the ledge and I thought to myself, you know, this is, this is going to be it. What are, what are your last thoughts going to be? You know how we are when we get to thinking. <laughs> so I, I thought about that. This is going to be it. By God. What are you going to think about? And I got to thinking. And first thing I thought about wonder what's going to happen to that suit I got down the cleaners down there. And, you know, a bunch of nonsensical stuff came to my head, you know. wonder what they'll react to it. There's friends of mine who knew me pretty good that were the last friends I had. I wonder how they're going to react to this. And I didn't think about those kids, family, or anything. You know, mother, father, none of that. That did not concern me. 
It was those people that, you know, just about nonsensical stuff. But then what happened was, the thought came to me very strongly that, uh, you know what? You have never been a father to those kids that you abandoned back in Oklahoma. Just what in the world are you, uh, you going to do now? You're going to leave them a, a suicidal father? And that did it. I just could not make the move. I just, it just, it was very intense. And I know that my higher power was working then. I have no doubt about that at all because uh, I didn't have any fear at all of dying. That was not, I, God, it was relief that I was looking for. And yet when that came about about those kids, I just could not do it. There was just no way. And so I came back in out of the window and I got uh, one of the, the only amenities that I had in that room was I had a telephone. And uh, now this, i got to tell you, this was after I'd been out all day drinking. And it's about 2.30 in the morning. And uh, one of the things I did when I came back in, I said, you know, uh, that guy, that, that, uh, that prosecutor, I mean that uh, defender, that public defender that told you what to do, he said to call Alcoholics Anonymous. Why don't you do that? Now, that was a lousy idea when he told it to me. It was still a lousy idea, but there weren't a hell of a lot of choices there. And so I thought, well, maybe I ought to do that. So I tried to call Alcoholics Anonymous at 2.30 in the morning. Now, there was no answer, of course. At that time, they had nothing but an answering machine on there, and I just hung up on it. Now, I'm one of these kind of guys that my brilliant thinking when I'm in my cup comes about 2.30 or 3 o'clock in the morning, always. Oh, yes, a few of you have done that, I can tell. And uh, I, I, I have a very pressing need to share that with people at that time of the morning. And I like to call long distance to make the, to share. You know, I, I do that well. And I, uh, so I, I, and I like to call very important people. The governor of California has had a call from me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning many times. Supreme Court justices, they've had calls from me. President of the United States has had calls from me at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And the next morning, always, I would think, and I still remember what I'd done. I said, geez, that was stupid. Why would you do that? That's at 2 or 3 in the morning. You're trying to call these people. That was dumb. Why did you do it? And the only response was, oh, well, I won't do it next time. You know, well, it did over and over again. So uh, the same thing happened when I, when I thought about trying to call Alcoholics Anonymous the next morning. I thought about that. And you know what? The next morning, it was still a good idea, contrary to what uh, those other ideas had been before. And so I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, I, well, I didn't do it all that, just like that. I mean, you know, I, I called, uh, uh, my name is Jim Shaw, and I'd like to get some information about your program for a friend of mine. <laughs> and the lady who, who, uh, who answered the call knew who the friend was. And so uh, she responded by uh, telling me a bunch of her story, you know. And she started in telling me about her story, about how many years she drank and she lost two kids because of that. And I said, oh, my God, you know. And I got those two, immediately my two kids back in Oklahoma came to my mind. And I'm going, what the hell is this woman talking about? She looking, you know, I didn't know what was going on. And she just kept on talking. And finally she kind of got me into the conversation. And she says, uh, uh, uh I don't remember this day. I don't remember exactly how it came about. But I was telling her something about uh, how I felt about this. And uh, she says, oh, yes, I understand. I'm an alcoholic, too. And now there had been, uh, for the past oh, two or three minutes when I was talking to her, there was a big lump came into my throat. You know, and I don't know why. It was just there. I didn't cry ever. But I did this time. I, my, the lump was there, and I was worried about it. And when she said... Oh, yes, I understand. I'm an alcoholic, too. Well, with that, I just went... <laughs> and, I mean, I just bawled and bawled and bawled and bawled. And I just turned loose. Now, I want to tell you that uh, this woman knew, of course she knew who she was talking to. And she just let me cry, and then she let me cry. And then after a while, she says... Uh, could I ask you a personal question? Could it possibly be that this person that you wanted to get the information for, could that possibly have been you? And 
that. He just went on and on and on for about another three or four minutes, you know. Could not stop sobbing. And uh, she just let me go. And finally, when I calmed down a little bit, she says, Oh, thank God. Thank God. Because if you're an alcoholic like I'm an alcoholic, we have the answers for you here on Alcoholics Anonymous. Won't you let me send someone out to talk to you? Now, this lady had looked inside me where nobody had been in a long time. And it was time to back off. Uh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. You see, I'm at work and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't let that happen here. Well, I'm a, uh, you know, I just went on and on and on about the story of why I couldn't. She just kept me, kept me right on the phone. and She says, well, could I have a male member of Alcoholics Anonymous call you? That's the way we do it here. She was afraid I was slipping away, you know. And uh, she said, that's the way we do it here, and uh, would, can I do that? And I says, well, uh, no, uh, I, uh, well, maybe yes, uh, here's my unlisted phone, he can call me here. So he, in about a, she, I thanked her profusely for all of her information and all this, and thought, wonderful, and thank you very much, and I hung up. Well, about an hour, I got a call from Tom, and Tom says, uh, my name is Tom, I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, does anyone there have a problem with alcohol? Now, this guy's voice was well enunciated. He sounded like a TV announcer or something like that. And you, I thought I'd better answer him in kind. So I said, uh, yes, I think I may have been an alcoholic for about the past two weeks. <laughs> and uh, he, he later says, uh, Jim, I damn near busted out laughing with that one. Anyway, uh, uh, he, he kept, got me in conversation. And he says, uh, well, uh, how do you drink? What, uh, I drink all the time. What do you mean all the time? I said, all the time. In the daytime, I drink just to maintain, uh, you know, because otherwise I have to drink, mister. You don't understand. I have to drink. Well, uh, I understand, but uh, I said, yeah, I drink all the time. In the daytime, I drink maintenance-type drinking, and at night, I really get with it. And he says, oh, I understand. Okay. He says, uh, then we got on the conversation some more about some different things, and I forget what all it was. But then he says, do you think you could not rest, uh, not drink for the rest of the day? Now, this is 9.30 in the morning or thereabouts. I said, no, I really don't. Hell no, I could not drink for the rest of the day. you got to be kidding. He said, but we don't drink in Alcoholics Anonymous. I said, I'm in the wrong place already. I, I tell you, you got to be kidding. i got to drink all the time, mister. And I said, I have to drink. You don't understand. I come apart if I don't drink. And he says, yes, I understand. I said, how do you understand? He says, well, I'm an alcoholic. I said, well, all right, then you understand what I'm talking about. He said, well, do you think you could try not to drink for the rest of the day? I said, I I can try, but I don't guarantee you nothing. And uh, he said, well, why don't you try not to drink for the rest of the day, and I'll meet you tonight in front of your hotel. And I says, "Uh, what do you mean? Well, we'll go to a meeting. I told him where I'd live, and I said, well, what does that mean? I, well, I mean, that's what we do in Alcoholics Anonymous, part of what we do. And uh, so I, you know, I said, well, finally I agreed to it. So he, uh, he said, well, I'll see you tonight, and I'll meet you in front of your hotel about a quarter to six. He said, by the way, would you try not to drink for the rest of the day? Immediately when that phone call was over, first thing I did was go in the refrigerator, get me a can of beer, and get me a shot to hit that down with because I'd already made a big mistake and I knew it. So uh, about 2 o'clock that day, though, I, would, I, I thought, you know, if you're going to go with that guy tonight, you might ought to try not to drink for the rest of the day. So I, uh, I thought about it and I said, yeah, you're probably right. So I said, I won't have any more. For the rest of the day. Now, this is about 2 o'clock. As I told you, I drank all the time, and by 4 o'clock, I knew that it was a mistake, and because it was, I was beginning to perspire rather profusely, and it was coming off in buckets full, and I could just shake it off my hands, and, uh, and by 5 o'clock, it got a little worse, a whole bunch worse, and it was time for me to leave out there at 5.30. And by 5.30 time came around, uh, this was a bad idea. And I got over there, and I, I only lived three blocks from my hotel. I mean, I worked only three blocks from my hotel. And this hotel was right on the corner of Broadway and 7th Street, and there were a whole lot of people out there standing in front of the hotel. Now, they were out there to catch buses and get rides and all this sort of stuff. There must have been 15, 20, maybe 25 of them all standing around there and 
I'm up there about quarter to six now, but this time I'm already beginning to perspire through my suit, and I am beginning just a little to get just a little bit quick. I mean, you know, it was just wasn't too much fun about that time. So uh, I uh, I looked at the I kept looking around. I'm kind of plotting out there in front of this place, wondering where who's this, what's going to go on, and all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden, this car comes out around off of Broadway and steps right, stops right in front of the hotel, and uh, this guy gets out. He kept on getting out, and you know, he got. I looked at him, and uh, I didn't pay him a lot of attention, but, and then he began to look at the crowd there. There was, like I said, 20, 25 people. He kind of panned, and he stuck his finger up like this, and he starts going like this, and all of a sudden, he came back, and he started walking toward me. And he walks over to me and sticks his finger right in my face. He says, are you Jim? I got my first resentment in Alcoholics Anonymous right there. <laughs> yeah, I did. Uh, I, I said, I knew darn well I didn't look like an alcoholic. And uh, I says, finally, I said, well, uh, yes, uh, I am. He says, good. My name is Tom, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I want you to know that no matter how big your list of problems was today, it's just half that size right now. And I thought, what the hell is he talking about? You know. <laughs> and uh, so he says, he explained that a little further. He says, you probably had a great big list. And he says, it's very important, I'm sure, because there are a lot of problems in your life and all that. But he says, the first thing has to be that you, want to, you have a desire not to drink. And he says, uh, I, I guess you have that or you wouldn't be standing here. So that makes your problems just half the size they were this morning. And I thought, well, whoopee, you know. It was, it was just one of those deals that <laughs> I didn't know what the heck he was talking about. He knew, but I didn't. But anyway, he says, come on, let's go have something to eat. And he's just grinning and I'm saying, oh, God. I hadn't been doing a lot of eating in the last few weeks, I guarantee you. The only thing, I, we had some of that today at noon. I used to eat a lot of chili. That's all I ate was chili because that's all I could hold down and uh, it was all I wanted. And, you know, I just wanted enough so I could go ahead and drink some more. Anyway, uh, we insisted and we went to this place over there and I had a bowl of soup. Now, I'm just, I'm just working on this soup slow. I mean, they're already through and I'm still working on this soup and we're talking all the time. And they're talking about their alcoholism. I'm talking about nothing in the general, just listening a lot and... And I'm getting a little bit quicker. You know, it's, I'm really getting a little bit quicker. And I keep telling them, I need a drink. If I don't get a drink pretty soon, I'm going to come apart. Now, you guys need to help me. I need a drink. Uh, yeah, we'll get you one. If you'll just wait about 20, 30 minutes, we'll get you one. If you really have to have it, we'll get you one. And uh, so let's go eat, you know, and let's come on and do the eating. Well, I finished up just about all I was going to eat there in the, anyway. And I got this last spoonful in my mouth and barely got my spoon down. Tom is sitting over here, and Ed's over here. And all of a sudden, I'm starting to say something to Tom, and I go, Bleh! right over in his lap. I mean, all that soup went right in his lap. And uh, I looked at him. I thought, hell, he'd probably just kill me, you know. He just started laughing. <laughs> he said, well, hell, I insisted you have something to eat. He said, waitress, bring me a towel. And he started wiping himself off, you know. And <laughs> so anyway, we went to this meeting. Now, by this time, on the way over there, I'm really quick. I mean, I'm just jumping around there, and it's, it's going. I'm not in good shape at all. And I just, hey, man, we got to stop. I got to have a drink. I really got to have a drink. And he says, hang on, Jim, hang on. So we got over there into this meeting. And the place was in the basement of a church over, over in Hollywood. The smoke was boiling out of there. I mean, it was just boiling out of there. And... Uh, I, uh, I said, what the heck kind of place is this? Is this a religious thing? I, I really had no idea what AA was. And uh, he said, oh, no, it's not re We're spiritual, but we're not religious. You know, I said, oh, one of those things. Now, I don't know. My, what you got to understand is three brothers. Two of them are preachers. The other one's a, a deacon in his church. My sister was a member of the WCTU, and then there was me. You know, so I knew what all this business was about, you know. And anyway, we got in this church, and, and uh, God, it was loud in there. 
Oh, it was loud in there. I just, oh, I wanted to cover my ears because every time he had introduced me to somebody, you know, they'd, they'd show me a bunch of pearly stuff here and, hi, I'm good. You know, and I didn't, I didn't really want, I just was tired already. So they, uh, we get in there and, and it was just horrible and I'm, Hi, meet Jim. He's new. Hi! You know, and I'm jumping and it's, and, and I'm just, by this time, I'm, I'm a nervous, total nervous wreck. And we sat down over there and it just started the meeting and somewhere my, my head, any in brains that I had in my head at all, kind of set itself over here with this other guy. And then I'm still sitting there, you know, and it just, it really was. It, I think may have been going very close to DTs. And I, uh, the, the, the things were making no sense. And the meeting started. And it was one of these participation first, and then it was speaker. Well, the meeting started, and uh, uh, this, this gal, she trots up to the microphone. My name is Sue, and I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I think it's the most wonderful thing in the world, and I'm just so happy to be an alcoholic, and I'm so glad I'm in AA. I couldn't stand it. This... This guy here that was sitting still over here, he, he had to respond to that. So I get up, and I stuck my finger at her, and I said, Yeah, BS, lady, BS! Tom grabs me and says, What the hell is wrong with you? I said, I need a drink. That's what's wrong with me. That's all I can say. I need a drink. He said, Well, shut up and sit down. So I sat down. And... Uh, the, uh, the, the, the thing was, I was ashamed, and I didn't know what I'd done and why I'd done it, because I wouldn't even have done that drunk, for crying out loud, you know, maybe. <laughs> but uh, in a minute, this guy, they call, she sits down, and after she'd shared, and the other guy, this guy comes moping up to the mic. My name is Sam. I've been a member of Alcoholics Anonymous for four months. And I want you to know, it's rough out there. It's really rough out there. One more time. This brain went to work, and this old guy over here moved out. So I, this, this guy had to get up and respond, and I stood up one more time. You're right, Sam. It sure as hell is rough out there. By God, we got to do something about that, Sam. And I'm just going on and on and on. And Tom pulled me back down. He said, Jim, if you don't shut up, we're going to have to send you out of here. Now, what's wrong with you? I need a drink. That's what's wrong with me. Don't you understand? And he didn't understand. He says, I want you to shut up and listen. Well, they had a little break, and then we came back, and the meeting, the, the meeting kept on going. About a year and a half later, it was over. And uh, <laughs> it sure seemed like a year and a half, I guarantee you. And so... They said, come on, we're going to go get you that drink. And I said, thank God. And so with a whole bunch of them got into cars, and they all headed for this same place. And I looked at the place when we got there. I didn't see no cocktail sign or neon lights or anything like that. But I did see a beer sign in there. I said, well, hell, that'll do in a pinch, you know. So we get in there, and, and Tom looks at all of the people in there, and they've, they've all assembled. He said, we want that booth right over there, please. It was the only one in the house where they could seat six people. They took me and they put me on the inside and put a fullback next to me so I shouldn't get away. You hear that, Skip? <laughs> Skip knows who he is. <laughs> anyway, uh, they kept me on the inside there and uh, they started talking to me. There were six of them in there and Tom was sitting down at the end and they started talking to me. Jim, you're going to love Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the most wonderful deal I've ever had. And without missing a beat, the next one said, Jim, Alcoholics Anonymous is the best deal I ever had. The next one, Jim, Alcoholics Anonymous is the greatest deal there is going. And right on down the line they went. And I said, holy mackerel. I got, and so I had to rest a little bit. I, I laid my head down on the table like this. Because they had already worn me out about how wonderful Alcoholics Anonymous was. And while I had my lay, head laid down... I heard uh, some rustling going on, some movement of some kind, and I didn't know what was going on and didn't care. And uh, so when I took my head up, they had run in a whole new crew, and they began to tell me how wonderful Alcoholics Anonymous was. So before the whole day was over with, trust me, I knew you were a bunch of wonderful folks. 
And uh, I, I thought, oh, God, you know. Anyway, I uh, says to Tom, where's my drink, you know? And he got serious with me, and he says, Jim, let me ask you something. You see all these people here? At one time or another, they had to have a certain time of the day that they took their last drink. Now, you told me that you had your last one around 2 o'clock. Is that right? Yes. Well, why don't we let 2 o'clock be the time that you had your last drink? And I knew he was serious. And I said, man, you don't seem to understand. I can't do it. I cannot not drink. I don't know how you guys do it, but I can't do that. I just can't not drink. I have to drink. He said, I understand. We all had to do the same thing. And he says, uh, won't you at least try? I thought, well, you know, he's not going to let up, so I might as well say, yes, I'll try. I Okay, I'll try. Well, that's when they started telling me how wonderful it was and all this sort of stuff, and it went on and on and on. And finally, I thought in my mind, you know, I'm looking at that clock over there, and I said, you know, I've I got to get out of here before 2 o'clock because the liquor stores close at 2, and I've got to have me a supply before the, before the night's over. And I'm, all of a sudden, they got me back in conversation again. And I look up and it's ten after two. And they'd all been watching me watch the clock. And I, uh, and Tom, and I'm looking up and I'm looking at Tom and he's just grinning. I said, you guys tricked me. He said, yeah, we did, didn't you? <laughs> Funny as heck, you know. So anyway, uh, I, I said, well, I still ha- always had a reserve there. I mean, I always had some kind of reserve. I had a half pint. And so I got back to the, uh, I already thought about it. I was going to get back and get upstairs and get me a, a shot real quick after I get out of this car, you know. And when I got out of the car, I was going to jump out and go, thank him and go. And what I did was I jumped out and here's this guy already standing up there looking at me. He'd already gotten out of the car and he's looking down at me. And he looked and he kind of looking at me funny and uh, he says, uh, Jim, are you going to pour it out or am I? I said, what are you talking about? He said, I'm talking about that bottle that you have up in your room. And I started to protest real loud, but this, I knew this guy had me. I mean, I, I just knew he had me. And I just shook my head and I said, man, if it gets poured out, you're going to have to do it because there's no way I can. So he, um, <laughs> he says, come on, let's go get the job done. So we went up there onto the seventh floor, and he says, what happened to your window over there? I said, well, I had a little problem getting it open. <laughs> That's the one I tried to jump out of. So uh, anyway, it, uh, I got up there, and he says, you know what, Jim? One of us will stay with you tonight because it's going to get worse. I said, man, how can it get any worse than it is? I've been through this crap before. This is about as I know it's going to be rough for the next 24 hours. He says, uh, yeah, that really is. And he says, well, why don't you let one of us stay? I said, no, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. And I don't recommend that, by the way, to anybody out there new or brand new. I really don't. So anyway, uh, he, uh, he left, and I didn't sleep at all. I didn't sleep at all. I got up the next morning. I got up. I'd just been laying in bed. And the phone rang. And uh, it was Tom. Hi, Jim. Did you have to drink last night? No, I didn't have to drink last night, but by God, I wish the hell I had it. I feel crazy as hell, and I feel like I'm going to go blow my top right now. I don't know what's going wrong with you. Why did I ever listen to you? And he just let me go, and he says, I tell you what, I would have been, I would really have been disappointed if you, if you felt any other way, Jim. But he says, hang in there, and we'll go to another meeting tonight. Ah, whoopee! We'll go to another meeting tonight. And so he said, <laughs> he thought it was funny, you know, I, did, uh, I was serious as hell, he wasn't. Anyway, about an hour I got another call from this guy, uh, Ed, that was with me, and he, uh, he says, uh, Jim, I hope you didn't have to drink last night. He says, uh, but try your best not to today. I said, I didn't last night, and I'm going to try today. Thank you very much, Ed. And so on the hour, I got to work, and on the hour, on that unlisted phone that I had given, the number that I had given to him, I got a call from, from those people that were there that night before down at that restaurant. Did you have to drink last night, Jim? No, I didn't have to drink. Thank you very much for calling. And bless one of the was over. Jesus, not another one, you know. Anyway, we'll, we'll go to another meeting tonight. Oh, wonderful, you know, just all that sort of stuff. So... Uh, 
I, I always, I always, they, they kept on and they did exactly what they said they'd do. They picked me up. We went to another meeting. And little by little by little, it began to get not okay, but a little better. And you know, about the fifth or sixth day, I think I had just a little bit of one of the most basic ingredients that we must find if we come to Alcoholics Anonymous and are to stay. I think I found just that much of an, an ingredient called hope. I think somehow or another I said, oh, God, do you really suppose that I could do what they're doing? Do you really think it's possible? And I don't know if I got an answer or what or if my mind was going crazy or what it was, but I thought, let me try just for a little while. And so I started going to those meetings. And soon thereafter, he says, I got a place that I just came out of four months ago for you to go to. And Jim, you got to get out of this hotel. You'll get drunk up here. It's a place where a bunch of alcoholics are. It's called a 12-step house. And you need to be there. And I was listening to what he had to say. So I went in, moved into this 12-step house. Now, I took my... uh, Took all my luggage in there, and my expensive luggage. I thought I, I fancied myself a high roller. <laughs> and I uh, looked in there, and I had all this stuff in there. And I looked at this old house that, there, that he was going to have me stay in. It was a big three-story clapboard house. Hadn't been painted in probably 25 years. And the front step was broken down on one side. And uh, I looked at that, and I said, you really did it this time, didn't you, big shot? You really did. And I walked into this place, and uh, he took me in there, and he says, Lee, to the manager of the place, he said, Lee, this is the guy I've been telling you about. His name is Jim, and he's a real alcoholic, and he needs a place to stay and be with alcoholics so he can be a a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And he says, are you an alcoholic, Jim? And I said, well, I guess I must be. Every time I'm in trouble of any kind, it seems like I'm drinking or drunk. He says, well, you probably are, and we got a place for you. So I, I went in there, and I started going, and every night Tom would come, pick me up, take me to some meetings and all that sort of stuff. We had meetings there in the house. Bill Wilson had been there and given his blessing to the place before. And this uh, was a long time ago. It was like uh, 29 years ago that that took place. And someone said before me today that... Uh, you don't have to drink. You, you don't have to have another drink after you come to Alcoholics Anonymous. I want to reiterate that you don't have to have another drink because since at that time, I have not had anything. The neck up. No alcohol, no pills, no nothing. And it's because of Alcoholics Anonymous and the message that was carried to me. And with that message that was carried to me, I really feel that there's an obligation on my part that I have to do the same thing. It is absolutely incumbent upon me to see to it that whenever anybody, anywhere, reaches out for help, that I am responsible and that I am there. Not him or her or the other guy. Me. I am responsible. I don't ever, ever, ever in my life want to forget that. Because that's what Alcoholics Anonymous is based on. And we have been given, as far as I'm concerned, the most special gift that there is in this world. We have been given the ability to help where no one else has seemed to be able to. Psychiatry, medicine, whatever it is, religion. They can't seem to do the job that we do at all. Not in any, even a minute fashion, do they do it well. And we've been given that special ability to talk to one alcoholic, one-on-one and carry the message of recovery the same way those people did that night with me. And I didn't even know I was receiving the message, but I was. So I don't ever want to forget that. I kept going to these meetings and all this sort of thing, and they, they came up with the idea that I should get a sponsor. They came up with the idea that I, not me. I knew that any time that was mentioned, I just turned that off to the side, and I said, well, I'll do that when I think I need one. <laughs> uh, now, I know that uh, some of you may have only done it when you needed one, but they kept on. And uh, I was in this place one night, and, and uh, I'd been running around with a bunch of these guys. And Byron was talking to me, and he says, By- uh, Jim, he says, you know what? 
a guy with the hostility, the arrogance, and the ego that you have. And you're just full, full of resentment as anybody I ever saw. And you need a, you need a sponsor. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. Yeah, you know. And uh, he says, but when? Jim, you're going to get drunk if you don't. Now, I heard what he said. I'm going to get drunk if I don't get a sponsor. I didn't know what you people had. I really didn't. Even by this time, I didn't know what you had. But I knew what I'd had out there. And I didn't want any more of that. You know what a resentment is, by the way, don't you? Uh, resentment, it's, it's like uh, when you wet your pants. You know, uh, everybody else can see it, but you're the one that feels it. I, I heard that somewhere today. I thought that was really funny. Uh, it's very true, too. Uh, I've also heard it described as the fuel that drives most active alcoholics. And I thought, yeah, that's probably true. Anyway, uh, so I, I thought about that, and I said, well, uh, okay, okay, I'll get one. You know, finally, you know, finally he just insisted, and I said, okay, I'll get one. About that time, so help me, at the back of the room, when I'm up in the front of the room, the door opened, and this guy walks in. He's kind of got a balding head with glasses. He looked somewhat like Mr. Peepers on television. And uh, he, uh, Byron hits me in the side, and he says, Jim, that's the guy you need for a sponsor. Now, I'd seen this guy before around, and I'd heard him lashing out at some of his sponsorees and all this sort of stuff, and I said, you got to be kidding. I can't stand that, much less ask him to be my sponsor. And he says, but Jim, a guy with as arrogant and as hostile and with an ego that you got needs him. Now, go ask him to be your sponsor, and he would not quit. So finally I said, okay, okay, I'll go ask him to be my sponsor uh, at the coffee break. And so at the, uh, he's, at the coffee break, he says, go ask him. Well, I went over to the table where he was sitting, something like this, you know, and I, I stuck my finger right in his face. I, no, no, wait a minute. I didn't really walk over there. I kind of swaggered over there, and I stuck my finger right in his face. I said, listen, Clancy, you're going to be my sponsor. He looked up at me and he says, I'm what? You're going to be my sponsor. Turned his head back down. Then he came back up. He said, listen, puke. People don't tell me I'm going to be their sponsor. They ask me, now you get the hell out of here and come back later. And maybe I will and maybe I won't. Ooh. I turned around. I went back over to Byron. I said, you see there, Byron, I humbled myself. And I... <laughs> He said, yeah, I saw exactly how you humbled yourself. He says, now go over there and ask him to write after this thing's over with. So I said, okay. So I went over there and, and I, uh, I went over to him and I said, uh, and I did not stick my finger in his face. I said, Clancy, I really would appreciate it if you would be my sponsor. I guess I need one pretty bad. He says, you're right. And he says, I like that change of attitude. He said, I've been watching you. One thing I can say about you, you come to a lot of meetings, and I'm glad to see that. And he said, however, I will give you the meetings that I want you to attend. I will put them on the list, and I will expect you to be there every single day at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and I'll tell you when to quit going to a meeting a day. And, and he says, by the way, before I consent to the idea of being your sponsor, you need to understand something. I have a little list of rules that I have. These are not uh, for debate. These are the rules that I expect you to follow. And uh, let me tell you what some of them are. And he says, you will be at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous every single day. You will be there at least an hour before the meeting begins, and you will help to set it up. You will go see the secretary and get yourself a commitment. Do you know what a commitment is? And he just talked to me like I was some two-year-old kid. And he went on, and a half hour later, the list was just ended of the rules, you know. And I heard the strangest noise coming out of my mouth. I said, okay, I will, you know. And there I was. And so I started, uh, started going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous in the manner that my uh, sponsor had suggested. In fact, he told me, he says, you know, we don't have much time to talk here, but he says, I want you to come down to my office tomorrow, and you and I will discuss a little further what your future will hold. Now, that sounded ominous to me, 
But I said, okay, I'll be there. And I went down to his office. And when I got into his office, he closed the door. He said, I don't want any calls right now, thank you. And he started telling me, uh, it was a different Clancy sitting there. It wasn't this arrogant, smart-ass, what kind of guy that I'd seen before. There was a guy who knew exactly what he was talking about. And he said to me, he said, Jim, I want you to know something. I know you better than you will ever dream that I know you. I know what's going on inside you. I know what motivates you. I know what keeps you surviving. And he says, and I know the biggest item that you have going on in your life today is fear. That's what makes you hostile. That's what makes you arrogant. That's what pushes your ego to where it is. He says, it's all fear. And I wondered how in the hell he knew that, because I hadn't told that to anybody. And he says, let me say something else to you. If you will do what I ask you to do, I promise you. And he says, let me say that one more time. I promise you that your life will change to the better. And you will never know just how much it can change until you start trying to do what I'm going to suggest for you. Will you do that? And I started crying again. And uh, he says, and don't be afraid of crying. He says, we have all done it, many of us in the dark of night, but many of us after we came to Alcoholics Anonymous and saw what we really were and started to try to get better. And so I said, yes, I'll try. And so he made, you know, we started going through the steps. And he says, I want you to take the book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want you to read it thoroughly. I want you to know what's in that book because that's our recovery program. And he says, I want you to know what it is. And you must help me by doing that. And so I got the book out and started talking. And I, I mean, he started going through it and started reading it and did all these things. And then we started doing the steps. And this man, when, when we got to, I said, well, I think I'm through with the first and, first and second. He says, okay, for now. He says, we'll do the third together. I said, what the hell is he talking about? That's a very simple, short thing, you know. Uh, and he says, and he says, come on in here. And we were in, we went into his den over on uh, Lake Street. And he says, uh, he shut the door, and he says, get down here on your knees. And I said, he says, and, and then he says, we're going to take the third step together. I thought, oh my God, I hadn't been on my knees in so damn long. I wouldn't even know what that position was except to puke. You know, and so I, uh, I, we did that, and it then I felt, I felt a combination of, of really, I was totally uncomfortable with the idea, but I also felt that my God, you're doing what this book calls for. I don't know what the results are going to be, but you're doing what the book calls for. And then he started. Then he said, "Well, I'm going to you can you can lay off for a little while now, and we'll absorb what's going on so far, and just go to meetings." And so I went to meetings. And we kept going. I mean, anyway, it wound up that uh, 10 months later, he uh, had to call me and tell me that uh, uh, get your, I'd been putting off the fourth step for I don't know how long. And he said, get your fourth step ready by within two weeks or get a new sponsor. <laughs> and he didn't mince words. He just, he wasn't mad or anything else. He'd just get a new sponsor. So, uh, by the way, I happened to, uh, to have uh, one of the people that I sponsor, who I'm very privileged to sponsor, who lives out in the western part of uh, Nebraska, who, and he is here today. And uh, Tom, two weeks you got. <laughs> I just devil made me say that. Oh, what a way where it came from. Anyway, uh, I did the fourth and the fifth, and. Uh, one of the things that, when we kept on working these steps, you know, one of the things that I had, I had been married to this lady uh, who was, uh, I, I hated her with a passion because, you see, she's the one that stood between me and, uh, and the woman that I was living with at the time when I was married to, when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, and she wouldn't let her come back. She said, you don't want to go back to that bum, you know. And so I really had a resentment against this woman. Oh, my God. So... I, uh, he kept on, and after we got into the steps part of it, and he says, now, Jim, 
you, uh, what about that mother-in-law of yours? I said, I've done all the others. I, I listed and we had the list and I went off the list. Look, I went over there and did this and they were fine. Everything was good. What about that mother-in-law? Wouldn't let loose of that mother-in-law business. I, I'm not going to make amends to her. She's an old bitch and I'm not going to do it. He says, yeah, and you're not going to be free of it either, are you? And so finally one day, I called her up and made her, and she was so shocked to hear me. And uh, I told her, I said, I've been sober, and I think I've been sober about a year and a little over a year. I haven't had anything to drink, and my actions have changed since you last knew me. And I'm trying to work a program. And one of them says that I have to make amends to the people who I've harmed. And I have harmed you. She loaned me a lot of money in, for business, and uh, the business went broke. And uh, she had knew, She said, I don't want to because it doesn't look like you can take care of business. And I was insistent and all this sort of thing. Anyway, she gave me the money and it, it went down the drain. And she never said anything more about it. So I, uh, I went to her and I said, I have harmed you in many, many ways. But one of the worst is I mistreated your daughter. And I apologize very, very sincerely. That's the best I can do for now. I know I owe you some money and I'll pay you. And she says, and she came over and put her arms around me, and we both started crying. And she said, I only wanted you guys to be happy. I just wanted you to be happy. And she said, that's why I was so protective of her. I said, I understand now, but I didn't understand then. And that was this one more time that the, the working of the steps was a, such a relief, and it was such a, such a, a you know, I couldn't believe I would have bet any kind of money that that would not be the reaction that would come from her. I would, well, first of all, I thought she'd probably hang up on me when I called. And secondly, she'd slam the door shut in front of me when, when I went there. And the fact is it was a totally different thing. But anyway, at the urging of a sponsor. And I, I assure you that without the sponsor, that would never have gotten done. And so for anybody who's new or out there or who's out there without a sponsor... Why don't you do it the easy way and get one and do what your sponsor says? Uh, you know, sponsorship is one of the greatest things that has happened to me in my I, That man is still my sponsor. That's 29 years later. And I sit in a meeting with him every Wednesday night, uh, at least at one a meeting a week. And uh, I sit when, with your speaker uh, tonight. I sit in a meeting with him every week, and we, he is our sponsor. And we pay the respect to him that we, that we need to. And we sit in meetings with him. i got to tell you that Alcoholics Anonymous, as strange as it may seem, I heard that the first night, is the greatest deal I've ever had. It's the best deal I've ever had. It has done things for me in my life and, uh, that, that, I, that are impossible. And for you who are new or who have been out there for a while and, and here for a while, uh, if you think that it has been, everything has been wonderful since I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, that's not so. But I'll tell you one thing that it has provided. It has provided a vehicle for me that I did not have to react to adverse conditions by going out and getting drunk and making the conditions worse. And that's what has always happened in my life before I came to Alcoholics Anonymous. I, uh, I had, uh, I was in, you know, trying to do all these things, and I moved out to Westchester, and I got those kids back, back out there from Oklahoma, and their mother's alcoholism had begun to manifest itself, and uh, they wound up in a foster home, and I brought them out of the foster home and brought them out to, uh, to uh, Los Angeles, and I, uh, I got to tell you that uh, when I moved them out there to Westchester after they had been in a foster home in L.A., because my sponsor advised me that I needed just to keep going to Alcoholics Anonymous and that they, they would be okay there until I could take care of them. So I did. And I uh, moved them in with me. And uh, these kids uh, began to blossom with their alcoholism. And if you've ever seen a guy who was three years sober, got two kids, two teenage kids, very early teenage kids, Never been a father to those kids at all. And I take that on and they come in my house and I'm saying, my God, they're little monsters. What in the world did I, how, why was I so insistent on getting a hold of these kids? What in the hell have I done? 
I was nuts. And so, <laughs> very fortunately, this, uh, I got married again one more time. Uh, you know, that, that was something I did regularly. And I, uh, I, this is the first time in alcohol sober. Anyway, she and I put these two kids together, and boy, it was a mess. It was worse. And so finally, uh, we got divorced, and the kids went three doors down the street to live with her sister, which was a great setup because I could work then, and the kids were taken care of and all this, and I'd see the kids and all that stuff. Make a very long story short, their alcoholism started blossoming. They uh, both went out on their own, and uh, one of them went in the Navy, and uh, I just uh, kind of lost track of them. They just, just started doing their own thing. And about this time, I got a call from my dad used to come out and visit. And uh, my mother had died of alcoholism at the age of 56, cirrhosis of the liver. And I got a call from my brother Bill, and he said, your dad is sick. And it looks like he's going to die. You better get back here. He's been out on another drunk, and you better get back here and, uh, and if you want to see him alive. So I went back there, and I looked at my father, and uh, I, I, all the way back there I was praying, God, please tell me what to say to my father. I don't know what to say to my father. Please tell me what to say to my father. And I went in there and I said, Dad, I'm not back here to criticize you. I came, out, came back here because I love you, and I love you very much. Uh, <clears throat> you know what Alcoholics Anonymous has done for me in my life. So I'm not going to try to compare that or give you that information or advice. But I just want you to know one thing. I really do love you. And I turned around and I walked out. And uh, one, of the, one of the happiest days of my life was that uh, I was able to call back there a year later on April the 3rd and wish my 79-year-old father happy number one AA birthday. He was in this hospital and they had Alcoholics Anonymous there. And he started going to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And when he got out, he started going to meetings. He went to seven meetings a week. And he loved Alcoholics Anonymous. And when I called back there, I said, God, Dad, I'm so proud of you. Gosh, I'm really, you can't imagine how proud I am of you. And he said, wait a minute, son, you don't seem to understand. It was your example that allowed me to get sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And for that, I want to thank you. And all I could do was cry. That was the best I could come up with. But that's just, you know, I could go on and on and on. Uh, I, I, my daughter that my, my wife spoke of, you know, my, my, my daughter and I had always just butted heads. If, if I said it was black, she'd say it was white. And if I said, oh, it's beautiful outside, she'd say it's ugly outside. It didn't matter. Whatever my position was, hers was the opposite. I know none of you identify with that. But the facts were that um, that's the way it was with us. And I, uh, we were, had moved back to Oklahoma. I wanted to be back there with my dad, and we'd moved back there. And I had moved back there. We got married back there. And my, my wife got a call one day from Sheila. And uh, she says, uh, I, she had, by the way, had had a little boy, uh, 18 months old, without the benefit of... Uh, wedlock and that upset me some anyway uh, she says I guess I'm just going to have to put Brad in the foster home and walk the streets because I can't take it anymore and my wife uh, says wait a minute wait a minute let me have your dad call you and I tried to call her back and no she wasn't there she'd already gone out and she was out drinking someplace and so the next day Benoit did get a hold of her and so what I told Benoit was to tell her that uh, we'd send her a ticket back to Oklahoma and uh, she could come back there and she could stay with us till she got her life straightened out a little bit and she came back to Oklahoma and she brought all she possessed in about three boxes about that size and she brought this little boy and I'd already told my wife I said now listen you got to understand something I am not going to get emotionally involved with this kid Do you understand that I am not going to get emotionally involved with this kid she can come back here and we'll do all we can to help her and all that, but by God, I'm not going to get emotionally involved with that kid. And she says, yes, dear. And so she went out to the airplane to pick her up. And uh, there she came with her boxes and the little boy. And I, uh, I know that it, uh, she came to the house and 
and this little boy and I, I know it took uh, all after that kid got there it must have taken six maybe eight hours before he had me wrapped right around his little finger you know and I uh, he still does and uh, that uh, is just part of the deal you know it's just part of the deal but she came back there and uh, oh my god you know it was all the same old stuff she was didn't have to she didn't say a whole lot because she was living in my house but it was that same old confrontational stuff and uh, I told her I said if you stay here you're going to have to go to one of the meetings she said I'll go to Al-Anon I said that's fine that was okay for about 30 days until she got drunk she and her sponsor and she went into a blackout so then I said I don't think that's going to work uh, with you and finally I, then one day she had the little boy and, and she had uh, moved out into an apartment and she uh, had lost misplaced the little boy and I want you to know I was some upset about that and so she finally did find him and that sort of thing. And I got a hold of her that night. And I said, Sheila Marie, I want you in my office tomorrow morning by 9 o'clock. You and I have to talk. Now, I'm a yeller and a screamer and, a, you know, all of that by trade. You know, that's just what I do. And I knew that that was not the approach that was going to work. I don't somehow, God gives us those little things that we, you know, when we, he knows that we need them. And so he gave me the information. you got to settle down. And so I said, God, please help me. And so before she came down there, I prayed real hard for God to not let me yell and scream. So I went in there and I looked at my daughter. She came in and she says, hi, Dad. I said, hi, Sheila. Sit down, baby. I want you to know something, sweetheart. Your dad loves you more than you can just imagine. You don't have any idea how much I really do. We've always butted heads. We've always been at loggerheads with one another. And I hope that, that we can someday change that. But I've got to tell you something. You've got to change something. And I don't know what it is. Because when, you, when that little boy was lost and you didn't know where he was and it was snowing outside and it could have been anything, I want you to know I was terrified. You know why I was terrified? Because, because of your mother's alcoholism and my alcoholism, you kids wound up in foster home after foster home. And that has made me sick all of my life. And it's made me guilty all of my life. But I want you to know something. I really do love you. Even the way you are today. Especially the way you are today. But you've got to know something. If you don't do something, I'm going to have to legally take that child away from you. I will not let my grandson suffer the same kind of consequences that you kids did. I just won't do that. And she looked at me and kind of dropped her head, turned around and says, I understand, Dad. And she walked out. But I had not raised my voice hardly above a whisper. And I was really grateful for that. And I, uh, I was sitting in my usual place in the meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous that I go to on my third row back on the aisle. And they asked for newcomers. And my wife hit me inside. Jim, look back there. There was my daughter. And uh, she was holding her hand up. And she was... Uh, she was holding her hand up, and and I looked back there, and I was asked to, to, it was a participation in the beginning. It wouldn't, you know, participation first, then the speaker. And they asked me to participate, and I said, I got, just saw one of the best Christmas. It was around the 15th of, uh, it was the 15th of December is when it was. I said, I just got one of the best Christmas presents that I could possibly have. My daughter just raised her hand as a newcomer. I couldn't ask for a better one than that. And now it's you people's turn. Let's see what happens with Alcoholics Anonymous in her, her life. And I sat down. And I want to tell you something. If I live to be 197, I will not forget the way I felt that day, the, the, the gratitude that I felt to members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Because they had rallied around her. And they had, uh, they had just started showing her the way. And that's what we do here. We show others the way. The whole thing that if you take any of our meetings, any of these conferences or anything else, and you boil it all down, outside of maintaining our own sobriety, 
Our whole effort and our whole reason for being is to carry the message to the alcoholic who still suffers. And I hope to God I never forget that, and I hope that you do, that you never do. Because that's where we are. That's, what do we do here in Alcoholics Anonymous? What we have to offer is, I'm an alcoholic, and I can carry the message to another alcoholic. Now, I've heard all this other stuff that's trying to get, you know, attach itself to Alcoholics Anonymous, but I've got to tell you something. I'm of uh, the, the school that believes that we cannot dilute our effectiveness by trying to include everything else that there is out there. Everybody else has got problems, sure. But my alcoholism and your alcoholism is the thing that we have to work on. And we can't dilute the, the power of Alcoholics Anonymous by trying to be all things to all people. I hope to God we never forget that. Let's keep Alcoholics Anonymous, Alcoholics Anonymous, and then we can still carry the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. I want you to know that uh, I, I am really grateful to be here today. It is one of the best deals that I'm with family. I, I've been coming to this, this part of the country for a long time, and I, uh, Dick and Peg and, and Scott and Reggie and all of the, I'll leave somebody out, surely, but the facts are, that these two people right here beside us, they're very important in our lives, you know. My friend Tom out there that I sponsor, that's an honor. I, all the people that I sponsor, it's an honor to sponsor them. Because, you know, whenever I think about, uh, I don't think I want to go to a meeting tonight. I, I go all the time. I'm always at meetings. Why do I need to go tonight? Because I've got people that I sponsor who are going to be there. And they may want to talk to me. They may need to talk to me. And we may just want to see each other and say, hey, yeah, we're going to doing the same deal. We're doing the deal together. Thank you for your hospitality. Thank you for all that you've given us on so many occasions. Bye-bye.